What's up, everyone? Welcome to week two of the QB List Fantasy Football What We Saw podcast. I'm Eric Smith, joined by Ryan Heath, as always. It was another crazy week in the NFL, especially if you're a Bengals fan. This is just how every week is going to be from now on, apparently. Uh, but little did we know when we watched Thursday Night Football, we were watching the RB3 play. That was Austin Eckler, who scored 18 PPR points. I think a lot of people were probably a little frustrated with his performance on Thursday Night Football. Well, he's RB3 going into Sunday Night Football. We do have two Monday Night games this week. But Nick Chubb and his three touchdowns were our only running back over 20 PPR points this week brutal week at the running back position. So I think if you had a couple of running backs score double digit points, you probably did all right this week. You can feel like you survived. So um, we are going to go through our typical uh, tilts this week. Uh, what frustrated us from fantasy football? What got us excited? Go through some injuries, surprising usages, uh, good performances, bad performances. We're going to catch you up real quick on everything you might have missed. So as always, go to what we saw uh, article on QBList.com to get our full staff recap of every game. But we'll we'll get you the highlights here from uh, week two of NFL action. So, Ryan, good having you on again this week. Uh, you got a, a win from your Patriots, but I'm guessing that you've got some reason to be angry at the, the fantasy football gods this week. Oh, I, I mean, I can find a reason pretty much any week. But, it, <laughs> yeah, this week especially – I was pretty mad um, about how my DFS lineups were performing. So I I feel like these last two weeks, I've kind of gotten a lot right. Like this week, I was very correct about the Miami game. I had a ton of Tua. I was very correct about the Lions and Commanders game shooting out. I was correct about the Rams and the Falcons. But yet, I'm not rolling in the cash in DFS. I, I thought that once I was make, making 150 lineups every week that – I was just going to instantly be able to post screenshots on Twitter and show everybody how smart and rich I am now, but that that hasn't happened. I don't understand. I've been, I've played basically even both of these last two weeks. It it's fun. Like I'm enjoying myself, but at the same time, it's like, man, I'm profiting like $3 off of spending five hours making lineups. Like what, what am I doing with my life? Well, I first I would say I bet there are a lot of people at the 150 lineups that did a lot worse than you did. So you should probably hold your head high on that one. But um, yeah, I, it was a rough week for me. I don't build as many lineups as I used to in DFS. But uh, when you go with the Derek Carr, Devontae Adams stack, that's not going to get you real far in the tournaments. So I uh, kind of wasted my Amon Ross St. Brown performance who uh, went off this week. So yeah, um, other than, you know, some some minor fantasy football gripes. Uh, I, I really am upset to see Trey Lance get injured. We'll get to more of that in a minute, but looks like we're not going to see much of him for the rest of the season. And then, of course, my Cincinnati Bengals lose another game uh, at the buzzer on a field goal. I'm going to save some of that for the bad performance section because uh, I don't want you all to think you're listening to the QB list Bengals podcast. So uh, I'll bury that rant a little bit further down in the podcast tonight. So if you really want to hear my pain and suffering, uh, skip down to the uh, the Bengals timestamp. I'm sure it's going to be great. So um, let's kick this off, Ryan, with the major injuries. And like I mentioned, we had a big one. Trey Lance, um, ankle injury looks very serious. He was carted off. We think he's probably out for the season already. It's a bummer. Um, we'll get into the the 49ers implications here in a minute, but I, I really hated to see it. It's now been two years with Lance in the league, and we really still haven't been able to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating, like seeing the washout game last week and now this. Like it, I was getting shades of when Dak Prescott was carted off the field a couple years ago with that horrific ankle injury on prime time. Like that, that was sort of the emotion I felt watching it. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate. Um, and I do just want to say that anybody victory lapping this, saying that somehow this proved them correct about Trey Lance, is a depraved lunatic. So <laughs> it have like I hope that your life continues to be as despicable and sad as it is. Yeah, we need to do a better job of, of separating some of this stuff when it comes to fantasy football. So um, we can be right about something and it wasn't, you know, the process didn't hit like just stuff happens in this game. It's a crazy game. So, and another thing, I know there are a lot of people out there that are going to say, Hey, he was a risk all along. This is why you should have taken the safer options at quarterback. Well, you know, in my home league, I know that's just one league, but I was able to drop uh, Russell Gage from my bench and pick up Justin Fields on waivers, like as this happened. So I've already got a, kind of a poor man's Trey Lance. Um, there are a lot of leagues where Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins are going to be available. Like, yes, it was a risk to draft Trey Lance. It went as poorly as possible. It sure looks like, but 
you can still recover from this. I promise there are quarterbacks available. We just had Carson Wentz, who we touted as a streamer this week. I believe he was QB2 and scoring. Sure, it was garbage time, but there are ways to get around this injury at the quarterback position. So uh, if you did roster Lance, I know it hurts, but you can get around this. You'll be just fine. Just just scout the waiver wire, play matchups, and we'll, we'll all get through this together. Yeah, absolutely. There, it's never over for you at the quarterback position. There, there's plenty of options. You just listed off a bunch of good ones. Um, I'm still looking at Marcus Mariota. Still, still not. Uh, still kind of getting convinced on that one too. So we'll get we'll get to the Falcons later. But yeah, Jared Goff just threw for four touchdowns, no interceptions. So uh, yeah, you've got options. It's it's kind of wild. All right, let's get to Arizona. Uh, James Conner suffers suffers an ankle injury. This is definitely a situation to monitor here. What are your thoughts on the Cardinals backfield, Ryan? Yeah, so my immediate thought was, oh, I get like I guess it's you know Benjamin season. Like we identified him as the clear RB2 last week based on usage, but that is not what happened. Uh Daryl Williams entered the game, became a factor this week. And after the Connor injury, Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin pretty much split the touches 50-50 down the middle. Uh, and not, I wouldn't say either really outplayed the other uh, 62 total yards for Daryl Williams and 51 for Eno. Uh, Daryl got the goal line carry for and punched it in for a touchdown. Um, but I, I mean, both are going to obviously be waiver wire pickups this week, depending on Connor's timeline. Uh, and yeah, it's gonna, gonna be interesting. The Cardinals offense was, was very up and down today as well. So (laughs) there's a lot going on in that situation. Yeah. Only seven points heading into the fourth quarter for the Cardinals and they somehow won that one. So pretty brutal loss for the Raiders there to go. Oh, and two, I think these are both players worth picking up. I I kind of always assumed that Daryl Williams would be involved if something happened to Connor. Obviously we have to see how serious the injury is, but if we have any hint that Connor's going to miss even a week, I think these are targets because uh, maybe this goes kind of more back to early season James Conner, uh, you know, Chase Edmonds usage last year where both of these players can be useful. So I'm, I'm definitely targeting both of these running backs, um, assuming Conner is going to miss some time. So we'll see. All right. Next in Dallas, really not a lot of news on this, but Dalton Schultz left late with a knee injury. It kind of looked like he was trying to fight his way back in, uh, but the announcers don't do a great job uh, telling us what's happening with injuries. So there's not really much news as far as I've seen on Dalton Schultz, but keep that in mind. Uh, Ryan, is this like, I mean, there's nobody left now after C.D. Lamb if Dalton Schultz misses any time. Is this, I guess this offense was already a stay away. I don't know if it changes much. Yeah, I I don't think it changes much about the overall offense. Um, I I mean, we saw Tony Pollard get used some more in the passing game. Uh, I'm not sure if any of that actually came out of the slot. Uh, I would highly doubt that, but we'll we'll have those numbers later in the week, I'm sure. Uh, But yeah, I mean, this is still CeeDee Lamb just dominating the targets. I think he had 11 today. Yep. Then Jerry Judy leaves with a shoulder injury for the Denver Broncos. Seems relatively serious. I mean, they ruled him out pretty quick, I believe, and he was just out for the game. So um, the the Broncos struggled to score 16 points at home against the Texans, which is a whole nother story. But uh, this certainly led to Cortland Sutton dominating targets, 11 targets, seven catches, 122 yards. Nobody else contributed anything behind him in the passing game. So I don't know, is this more of a worry just because it takes the top off this offense? Or is this just like good news if you have Sutton? I think it's kind of worrying because it I don't think Sutton is going to start uh, just running intermediate routes. I mean, it from what I could see, it, it was mostly the same old Corlin Sutton stuff down the sideline, deep down the field. Uh, so if the Broncos offense becomes even more one dimensional than it already was, it, it's not necessarily the greatest thing. I, I Sutton will be fine. I'm sure like he just had a great fantasy day himself, despite the Broncos struggles on offense. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty unfortunate. Yeah, and it was a mess behind him at receiver. I mean, it's Kendall Hilton, Tyree Cleveland, Montreal Washington getting snaps. Uh, really disappointing performance from Albert Oakwick Boonham. Uh, he gets 38 snaps, runs 22 routes, and only gets six, uh, two targets, no catches. So uh, there are definitely a lot of other tight ends mixing in with Albert O. We'll have to analyze this one a little more, but it's awfully hard to recommend starting Albert O going forward even if Jerry Judy misses time after a goose egg, because this was a situation he should have benefited from. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alberto was surprisingly kind of chalky in DFS this week I, because I think people were encouraged by his target volume in week one, uh, as well as generally the Broncos offense in week one had looked pretty good aside from the two fumbles at the goal line. But they, yeah, they were just not moving the ball at all today. So it, pretty concerning, something to watch going forward. Yeah, the, the Broncos are the leader in the clubhouse right now of the team that uh, the random tight end catches the touchdown and you think it's your fantasy player and it's it's Eric Salbert catching a 22-yard touchdown by uh, watching the game with my brother in between crying over the Bengals. He exclaimed in celebration at the tight end touchdown only for it to be not Alberto. So uh, that seems like that's going to be the, the, the – I don't know. This is going to happen a lot, I think, for Alberto managers. So Denver seems to be spreading it around at the position. And then finally, Damian Harris, um, knee injury on the final play. I actually missed this one, Ryan. So um, what's it looking like in New England? Uh, He was the back to own today, right? He was as far as fantasy output went. uh, He did score the touchdown. Um, It is very concerning. We obviously don't have any information because it was right at the end of the game. We don't know if it's serious. Um, But yeah, if Harris is out, then Ramondre Stevenson is kind of the last man standing in this backfield. Uh, The Patriots didn't bring in a third running back to take away any snaps from Harrison Stevenson this week. Uh, I would imagine that somebody like Pierre Strong would get called up from the practice squad if Harris can't go next week. But yeah, I really hope that Harris is okay as a Patriots fan. Yeah, this might be a week to make a trade offer to the Stevenson manager just in case they're not paying attention to the snap shares and stuff because uh, Ramondre Stevenson, 42 snaps, 25 routes run. Damian Harris, 27 snaps, 10 routes run. So Stevenson really had a stranglehold on this backfield, even though this maybe the production doesn't quite show it. I did see Damian Harris got another uh, kind of check down swing pass in the red zone. Uh, you called that out last week, Ryan. That seems to be their goal line uh, strategy is to dump off to Damian Harris in the flat. Yeah, it's it's our entire red zone offense. I mean, I mean, it it started out with fades to Devonte Parker that were getting intercepted, and now it has devolved into just passes to the running back in the flat. So I I'm really loving the creative play calling out of the brain trust in New England right now. Well, as a Bengals fan whose team is in free for all, I would like to thank the uh, the New England Patriots, the Miami Dolphins, and the New York Jets for knocking off the rest of the AFC North. So uh, somehow an 0-2 start, uh, maybe not quite as bad as it could be. So more on that later, unfortunately. All right, let's get through the injuries. I'm sure more are going to pop up. Again, we're just recording this Sunday night during the Sunday night football game. But let's get to some surprising usages here. Uh, Ryan's kind of gone through, looked at some snap shares, looked at some uh, targets, and just pointing out some stuff to to note uh, going forward. So first up here, Ryan, James Robinson. Um, This wasn't in your personal tilt section. I'm very impressed. It wasn't, but it probably should have been because I – was an idiot and did play some Etienne and DFS this week. Um, so looking at the backfield, 45 snaps and 16 routes for James Robinson. Uh, and that was up against Etienne's 26 snaps and 14 routes. Basically, this is James Robinson's backfield. Uh, he was the lead back in most circumstances. Uh, Etienne is in on most third downs, most obvious passing situations. Uh, But overall, Robinson still was running some routes, even when he wasn't in on third down. And he's getting the short yardage and the goal line carries. So that personally, I I, so this could obviously flip if the Jaguars get into some actually negative game scripts, because surprisingly, have not (laughs) seen that much from them so far this year. Uh, But yeah, I, I think generally Robinson is who I would be ranking higher going forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, shout out to Nathan Janke from PFF who who cranks out these snap shares right away Sunday nights. Um, he's doing some cool like charts in these articles, uh, splitting up the running back usage per like uh, situation. Uh, James Robinson's dominating all the situations other than third downs, and that's where ETN uh, nine nine third down snaps to Robinson's three. Every other situation, Robinson is dominating. So I do think for ETN like. 
I, I we're going to get times this season where he's needed. Um, we'll see if James Robinson stays healthy all year. I don't think it's over for ETN, but if you drafted him as a zero RB team and you're counting on uh, hoping to, to spike some RB one production from him, uh, it's going to take a little longer. So I would uh, say patience. I think he's a buy low candidate. We just kind of need to reassess like our outlook on him. I think for the time being. Yeah, I, I would say that the ceiling that we were dreaming of for Etienne is gone, basically. Um, outside of a Robinson injury, I, I just don't see Etienne taking over this backfield. Yep, agreed. All right, uh, another one. I certainly did not see this one coming. Raheem Mostert outsnapped Chase Edmonds in Miami 39-36. to 36. Um, Where do we start on this one, Ryan? Yeah, so th- this was one I didn't really notice, even though I caught quite a bit of the Dolphins and Ravens game. And the reason for that is Miami was not really running the ball a whole lot to begin with. Like, you, I, it was not the backfield that I was so much paying attention to in this one. Uh, so Mostert had 11 carries and three targets to Edmonds, five carries and two targets. Edmonds was still in in the two-minute drill and in the hurry-up, uh, was also playing most of the third downs. But at, in typical Chase Edmonds fashion, every coach refuses to play him on the goal line. We, I, This still baffles me to this day that he just doesn't get to be in there at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- this is especially tilting because I was pretty ready after last week to declare Edmonds a W because his usage looked great last week, just in in terms of backfield rush share, target share. But it apparently it it could fluctuate a lot from week to week. And I don't know that we can count on Edmonds as much of a solid like back end RB2 or flex play like we kind of thought. Yeah, a few things. So, I mean, the biggest concern, I think, as always with Chase Edmonds is uh, three targets, one catch. Like if if he's not going to be more involved with that, that's kind of what we're hoping for here out of Edmonds. Uh, a little bit of a PPR back here. I would say the running game, like he broke off a 28 yard run. That was pretty much all of his production. Um, but overall the running game was fine. Like they, like you said, they just threw the ball a ton. The Ravens were a pass funnel defense last year. We thought they were going to be different with uh, secondary healthy and they just gave up almost 500 yards to Tua. So maybe this is still, it's just one of those defenses that teams are going to throw the ball against a lot. So in some ways, like it's almost encouraging here because the Dolphins just put up 42 points. They just fed Hill and Waddle like crazy. Like this offense, if it's moving the ball, I think that was a big reason we wanted Chase because he's like a lead back here. I don't think we probably have to wait too long until Mostert shows up on an injury report. So I'm still holding out hope, but yeah, I, we can't start him right now. Isn't that kind of where you would settle here on Edmonds? Yeah, I I think that's that's a good point about Mostert will eventually get injured like that. <laughs> it's just kind of the law of the universe. So, yeah, I I am with you. I think Edmonds right now is just kind of you you should hold him on your bench and see what happens in this backfield. If either guy seems to separate themselves, that then they'll probably be valuable, as you said, just based on the offensive environment. Yep, and we'll get to two and the receivers more later, but it's worth noting here, too, that like Jalen Waddle, 19 targets, Tyree Kill, 13 targets. Nobody else had more than four, um, you know, and then you got some limited running game usage. So it was just, it was all Hill, all Waddle here. We'll see if they can do that every week. Maybe they can. I don't know. All right, next up, uh, Washington receiving core. Another good week for Jahan Dotson here. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw these snap shares because – Last week, it was Dotson clearly behind McLaurin and kind of running along with Curtis Samuel in terms of playing time. Uh, But he actually led the team in both snaps and routes this week. 73 total snaps, 53 routes. uh, And that compared to McLaurin and Samuel, they each had 66 snaps and 48 routes for McLaurin and 47 for Samuel. Uh, so Dotson's production wasn't off the charts. He only a few targets. Um, but the, the fact that he is running all of these routes in this offense that is apparently one of the higher volume passing offenses in the league this year, I, it's encouraging. I think we can like actually talk about him as a f- potential flex play every week now. Yeah. I mean, three touchdowns in two weeks as a rookie, that's pretty awesome. 
really just a remarkable garbage time performance from this Washington team down, <laughs> down 22 to nothing at the half. And uh, they give us 27 points in the second half. Like I don't think Wentz had done anything in the first half and he ends up with three thirty-seven and three touchdowns. So uh, I kind of, you were happy with just about everyone this week. I mean, McLaurin, we're still hoping for a little more from, but a touchdown would have changed that. Even JD McKissick's out here catching seven passes. Logan Thomas got a touchdown. Like, I don't know. Maybe this is a team that's going to be uh, fantasy friendly all year. So keep an eye on Washington. They've been kind of fun so far, which I'm surprised about. So, all right, next up, I definitely noticed this one. I saw a bunch of the Saints and Buccaneers game and Chris Olave was a target hog for the Saints. The box score may not have shown it a ton in the production. I'm not sure what his final line ended up being, but it was pretty low for most of the game. But Olave was getting fed the ball. Um, what were your thoughts on Alave? And uh, I'll give you some more thoughts on this offense in a minute because I still am, uh, have mixed feelings about the Saints team. <laughs> yeah, he, as you said, he was being fed the ball, 13 targets leading the team. And it was far down the field as well. Uh, I, we don't have air yards yet from what I understand, but I think his air yard share is going to be extremely high as well. So yep. this, if I had to make a comparison, uh, this kind of reminds me of Jalen Waddle early in the year last year, where we could see that the usage and the utilization was there. He was commanding the targets. It wasn't fully showing up in the box score, uh, but that, I mean, it is clear that there's some sort of breakout coming here for Olave. Uh, I will probably agree with whatever shade you're about to throw on the Saints offense. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a chance to do that, though. Yeah, well, Olave did end up with five for 80. He had a 51-yard catch, but it was pretty bad stat line before that. Um, yeah, my shade is just going to be Jameis Winston, and the dude was playing with a broken back, so like this isn't me blaming him, but um, he did not look good. He airmailed Olave on multiple deep passes where he had a step. Like Olave could have had a monster game, and I just thought Jameis Winston looked pretty bad overall. Um, again, like we had that big play to Olave for 51 yards that gets Winston just a 236 passing for the day, took six sacks. So I'm a little torn because on the one hand, yeah, he's playing with a broken back, so I can't fault him for that. But is that going to get any better? Uh, that's my worry here. So we're like one hit away from a Taysom Hill offense. Um, I, the other backup quarterback can't be much better. So that's what worries me here. But Olave is getting the targets. He looked, I mean, you know, obviously Tampa Bay is giving a lot of attention to Michael Thomas, but he looked just as much as a number one in that offense as Thomas did. Like he was demanding targets and getting open. So really good sign for Alave. I just hope they have a quarterback that can give him the ball. Yeah, that I mean, that that's the hope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to another rookie Ohio State wide receiver. Yeah. Garrett Wilson had a pretty similar performance to Chris Olave, except it actually showed up for you in the fantasy scores. Uh, so he also led the Jets in targets with 14. His routes increased from week one to week two. I uh, pretty much just completely relegated Braxton Barrios to the bench. Thank God. And he is also narrowly running ahead of Corey Davis now as well. Uh, it seems like Elijah Moore is still the wide receiver one just by snaps and by routes. Uh, but I, Wilson's been commanding the targets through two weeks. So it makes me wonder a little bit if this ceiling that we envisioned for Elijah Moore is actually real. If Garrett Wilson has arrived quicker than any of us thought. Yeah, and maybe we're just going to compare everyone to uh, Jalen Waddle at this point, but it kind of reminds me of Waddle too, like really high draft pick. We all kind of forgot about him on, over the offseason, and he's drawing targets right away. I mean, eight, eight targets in the first game, 14 last week. Um, we had him down in the good performance section, but we might as well just knock him out here. Like, yeah, he played the third most snaps Garen Wilson did behind Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, but he did run more routes than Corey Davis. So uh, the usage, I mean, that's, the usage is going the right direction for rookie wide receiver. So uh, this is all great, great for Wilson. He's probably available on some waiver wires out there. Uh, he would be a priority add if he's, if he's not on a team, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like as long as uh, Joe Flacco is throwing the ball around the yard and winning games, like uh, I, I think we should buy into this Jets passing offense, right? Yeah. And Hey, we may have a quarterback controversy on our hands in New York. Wouldn't that be something if Zach, I believe Zach Wilson is eligible to return week five. Uh, so a few weeks here, we, it, things could get pretty interesting if the, if the Jets passing offense keeps performing this way. 
Yeah. I just got to give a shout out to uh, Tyler Conklin, one of my favorite uh, deep, deep, deep tight end sleepers, uh, six for 40 on nine targets. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. All right. Next up. Um, let's get to, yeah. I mean, I guess we already talked about the saints backfield. Do you want to add anything here with this usage? I mean, I, I kind of probably spoiled it here, but Ramondre Stevenson really did lead the way. Yeah, I we already talked about it for sure. Um, it, and I was surprised too. even having watched the whole game. I didn't know I would not have guessed that Stevenson played almost double the snaps of Damian Harris. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when Harris was in the game, he was getting fed the ball, but kind of that early down role where they'll play less snaps, but they'll very frequently get the ball when they are on the field. Uh, that That's kind of what it looked like. But yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously tough to know what this backfield is going to look like a week from now because we don't know who's going to be active yeah now it is very encouraging uh, pierre strong only three snaps and he was the only other running back involved i was worried they would just find their next time montgomery and throw him into the mix so that's at least encouraging for stevenson and harris as it was basically a two-man backfield here so all right let's get to pittsburgh Najee Harris, uh, as far as I know, made it through the game healthy. So that's good news. Um, maybe, though, his usage is coming down just a little bit here. Yeah, he's not seeing those 80 to 90 percent snap shares that we kind of got used to last uh, last year. It was 42 snaps for Harris to Jalen Warren, 17. So th- this is the opposite of the Patriots backfield. When I was watching the game, I felt like Jalen Warren was in all the time. I was like, oh, my God, is Najee Harris just not on the field for this entire drive? Like what? Where is he? It just felt like Jalen Warren was in my face more than I was comfortable with. Um, but the, I mean, the snap share for Harris is fine. He, he can still be productive on like a 70% snap share. The real problem is just this Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Yeah. But again, uh, you know, five targets, 40 yards when they only had 33 passing attempts. Uh, that, that's their six targets, five catches. So yeah, I mean, that's still pretty good receiving project production from Harris. So it's ugly on the ground, but um, he got you 89 total yards and five catches. That's pretty good for a running back this week, unfortunately. So um, let's get to the Rams. This pretty much developed how I, I thought it would. I was trying to warn people of this without, you know, you're kind of making assumptions here. But Daryl Henderson, still the lead back, still probably the snaps we want. But Akers is, is certainly coming for his work. Yeah, so 35 snaps for Henderson versus 27 for Akers. Henderson ran 19 routes. Akers ran eight. Uh, but then the touches and the opportunities were kind of flipped from what you would expect from that. Um, a lot of those situations this week. So for Henderson, just 10 carries and no targets in the passing game. Akers had 15 carries and three targets. Uh, Henderson did punch the touchdown in. Seemed like he was mostly the one they were going to on third down as well as in the red zone. So I think Henderson is probably the lead back for the foreseeable future. But this isn't going to be like the 80% opportunity share Daryl Henderson that we saw in week one and that we saw a little bit last year that we were hoping might continue. Yeah. I think my takeaway from this offense right now for these running backs is we want the goal line back. Uh, Daryl Henderson got four of the five goal line snaps. It looks like there's just, we've just seen this passing game work dry up for the running backs over time. I mean, acres gets three targets, two catches, nothing for Henderson. So I just think it's going to be disappointing performances from Rams running backs if they're not scoring. So for now, Henderson's the goal line back. I think we give them the nod. We'll see how long that lasts, but uh, that's my takeaway for the Rams in general. Let's get on to the 49ers backfield. Um, what did we find in our first post uh, Elijah Mitchell week? Yeah, so just from a usage perspective, the backfield looked pretty close to a 50-50 split, uh, both in snaps and in touches uh, between Jeff Wilson and your boy, Tyrion Davis-Price. Yeah. Uh, I, I, lo- I love that, by the way, we were both on Tyrion Davis price <laughs> and I just wimped out towards the end of the off season. And I I've just like thrown him around your neck now. Right. Um, so ju- I just wanted to hold myself accountable on that one. Uh, but 
I would imagine I would take Shanahan at his word and assume that whichever of these guys performs better is going to be the one that continues to see work. And I mean, at least today it was Jeff Wilson performing better. He went 18 carries for 84 yards on the ground and price had 14 carries for just 33. So it it's possible this flips next week, obviously. Um, But I think more importantly is with Trey Lance likely out for the season, I'm suddenly more interested in this 49ers backfield because it is much more likely that a 49ers running back scores a touchdown in any given week, especially on the goal line uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo under center. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. We did not talk about that enough up top with the injury, just what this offense looks like now that it's Jimmy Garoppolo. I know we just saw this offense last year, but yeah, I would agree with you. It's probably a good thing for the running game. It, it might take some of the ceiling off this offense as far as being like some explosive fantasy offense. But one thing, like, you know, we know this with the San Francisco running backs for the most part, but only two targets among Wilson and Tyrion Davis-Price combined. So uh, you're not going to get your points there from them. It's kind of like what we just talked about from the Rams. I think you probably want the goal line back here. Um, that's what we're looking for. But do you have any just big-time thoughts on whether it's uh, – you know, with Jimmy G, whether it's passing game or the running game, just anything you're changing on your outlook going forward? Not really. It's I would if this was before the season, I would say, well, I, I don't think that the odds, as you said, of this offense just becoming explosive and everybody on it be like beating their ADP. I, I don't I don't think that this is great for any of the pass catchers. Uh, but it, it's probably not the worst thing. Like I think Debo Samuel can continue to produce. Brandon Ayuk could, in theory, continue to produce. He, I mean, he's still running the most routes, but it's yeah, yeah it's just going to be tough for him week to week. I think. Yeah, and this was a true split backfield. Uh, goal line carries four for Wilson, three for TDP. Really, the only thing that Wilson dominated were the short yardage snaps, which I guess is not including the goal line snaps, but everything else pretty much is put down the middle. So, yeah, it's funny how everything can go perfectly for your TDP pick, and you're still looking at like a three-point PPR week in week two. So hopefully it gets a little better than that going forward. All right. Um, That leaves us with, I guess you want to talk about the Cowboys running backs. Um, So, yeah, go ahead with that one. I mean, we have to talk about Tony Pollard anytime he makes a big play and scores a touchdown, right? Like what, yeah. what can, did you expect me not to want to talk about Tony Pollard? Uh, so looking at this backfield, it's a, yet another situation where the actual touches and opportunities differed a lot from the snap shares. So Elliot nearly doubled Pollard in total snaps, 41 for Elliot, uh, 24 for Pollard. Uh, Elliot ran more routes as well. But then when you look at the actual opportunities, it was nine rush attempts and seven targets for Pollard and 15 rush attempts and just two targets for Elliot. So I, our, I don't know. I don't think that we can take much to get excited about out of this Cowboys offense like I mean they were functional I'll give them that it was this was not like the disaster that some were predicting but like they 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 were moving the ball sort of right (laughs) yeah they were I mean at the end of the day Cooper Rush is 19 for 31 so nothing real exciting there Uh, my big takeaway would be this is like dream scenario for Ezekiel Elliott at this stage and I'm actually more concerned than anything. I think that we only got 15 for 53 out of them and one catch for negative four yards. Like Cowboys were up 14 to three in the first quarter, 17 to three at the half. They had the lead until the fourth quarter. Like this is the Zeke Elliott game flow. And this is what you're getting out of them now. So yeah, I, if, if you have them, I don't know what you can really do. This isn't really a game you can sell high on. Um, I think you're just holding on for dear life until that gets back. But I don't know if, if it didn't happen this game that the Bengals are a tough defense, but this was the game script for Zeke to have a decent game. Yeah. I, the ultimate dead zone running back performance from Ezekiel Elliott, I guess everything lines up how it should for him to theoretically be a good fantasy option. And it, it, the results are just underwhelming. Uh, All right. Well, I guess our final backfield that we should talk about is the Houston Texans. So I I got whiplash from this one uh, (laughs) from last week. 
15 carries and one target for Damian Pierce, uh, 69 rushing yards on the ground. And Rex Burkhead did not see any carries and only saw three targets. Uh, the, the snaps were split a little closer than that would suggest. 39 for Pierce, 22 for Burkhead. Uh, they were about even in routes run. So are, are we looking at Damian Pierce as a legitimate back-end RB2 going forward? It's it's so wild. I mean, Burkhead did not have a single carry this week after dominating the snaps last week. Like, it's just a wild shift from one week to the other. This was a game where it was nine, yeah, nine to six going into the fourth quarter. So the Texans were able to play this game however they wanted to. And that meant Damian Pierce was on the field more, well, got the ball more than Rex Burkhead. I'm, I don't know, like maybe it flips again next week, but yeah, he was on the field more. Um, he did run less routes. Like, again, it's kind of like, well, you got 15 for 69 out of him. Like you'll have better days when he scores a touchdown, but um, they were able to feed him. And that's what a Damian Pierce game looks like, I think. So they'll have better matchups, not on the road in Denver. I think we're picking matchups with Pierce. That's, I guess, what I would land on is I'm sure they're going to have some nice games coming up playing in that AFC South. Those games may be start worthy, but I, I don't think I'd be starting them against a tough opponent. I'd agree. Yeah, if the Texans are ever favored, I think you're happy to start Pierce. But if they're gonna if they're gonna be ten point underdogs, which could could happen at least a few more times this year, then yeah, I I agree. At that point, I'd be staying away. Yeah, but definitely a nice rebound for everyone who drafted Pierce. So, all right, let's get into some good performances this week. It's probably the performance we should have talked about right off at the top of the show here. So we buried this a little bit, but uh, to a tongue of Iloa, Ryan. Um, is this for real? Tua went 36 of 50, 469 yards, six touchdowns, and two interceptions. Got two 40-point PPR performances from his receivers. Like, what is going on here? So I will say that this game started out pretty ugly for Tua. Uh, the Dolphins fell behind multiple scores early in the first half. So a lot of this was comeback mode. I mean, obviously, cre credit to Tua for being able yeah. to do that. That, that was... a really impressive game that he put together after the first quarter or so. Um, I think it might be for real. Yeah. I, I lean towards it is. And for a few reasons, obviously Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill are two of the best possible receivers that you could be throwing to. Like we, we sh probably should have been thinking of Tua as al almost like Kirk cousins plus this off season. Like he, if the thesis on cousins was that, they're going to throw a ton and he gets to do it to Justin Jefferson. Then I, it's the same, but double that for Tua and kind of leading into the other point, the dolphins have been extremely pass heavy through two weeks. Uh, I think there was kind of an opinion, a thought that because Mike McDaniel was coming from the Shanahan coaching tree, that he would necessarily tend to, to be more run heavy to favor the run more. Uh, but I, has turned out so far, at least that that's not been a great assumption. Uh, like, yes, it was a negative game script for most of the game this week, but that wasn't really the case last week against new England. Like the dolphins could have run the game however they wanted. And they were still overwhelmingly passing above their expected rate. So I think that this dolphins offense is going to continue to be explosive on a week to week basis. Um, and Tua should probably be rostered if you you need a quarterback. Yeah, I'm a little torn on this one. I, I He definitely should be rostered. I mean, this was a monster performance. He just put up almost 40 points, QB2, which is funny that Lamar topped him, but Lamar does this from time to time. So I don't know. Like, I would remind, remind everyone that Tua was like QB20 last week. Uh, so, again – no, we can't get every quarterback to be a rushing quarterback, but I do think we're going to see some down weeks from Tua. This isn't going to happen every week. They put up 28 points in the fourth quarter. But I think the big takeaway, it's hard for it to be anything other than Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell are just, just excellent, excellent, excellent receivers with big playability at any point in the game, as we expected. But we're seeing it in practice here. And they just blew up, and he's going to have huge ceiling every week because of that. So I still think we're going to see some pretty boring weeks out of Tua. Um, but we've officially seen the ceiling now. And I think that's kind of what we were waiting on. Yeah, I it's, it is exciting, but yeah, I agree. He's not going to have the 
sort of weekly floor of a rushing quarterback. He's not going to put up 50 yards rushing and have five points right there for you every single week. Um, but especially in matchups in game environments where we think shootouts are likely, then I, I'm like excited to put Tua in my lineup as, as crazy as that kind of sounds. Yep. So we'll probably get into more of him in the sit start podcast next week, because we're going to have to make some interesting decisions comparing him to some uh, higher ranked quarterbacks. So that'll be fun to figure out. I'm sure. Um, We already talked about Garrett Wilson as a good performance. So I'm going to gloss over him, but 14 targets second week as a rookie, it's, it's hard to pass that up. It's hard to ignore that. So shout out to Wilson there again. Uh, Let's get to another rookie here though. Drake London, uh, Kind of before, like in our Discord today, I was kind of like telling people, like, I can't wait to start him next week after we get through this Rams matchup. Because uh, his, his first week, he had 74 yards and seven targets. And this week, Drake London, 12 targets, eight catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown, again, against this tough Rams defense. Um, I It might be time to just plug in Drake London as a weekly starter. I mean, he's, he's outproducing... Uh, Kyle Pitts right now, and that's nothing that we should ignore. So do you think we're we're starting Drake London from now on, Ryan? I think we are, yeah, in pretty much any game environment. I think he's got to be someone that you plug in. Uh, when you see a rookie that was drafted in the top 10, like yeah. he was, just immediately step on the field and produce, like you, you've got, yeah, it's, it's not a mirage. He's going to probably continue to be a good fantasy option this season. We know that rookies uh, traditionally will get better and better as the year goes on. So I, if the, if this is Drake London's start, I'm excited to see where we might be eight weeks from now with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, this Falcons offense, we'll talk about Pitts later, but L- London is kind of the only thing working in this passing game right now. So it, yeah. as long as he as long as he's good enough to do that, like you, there's not much to complain about. Yeah, they're barely even playing any receivers after London. It's him and Pitts, basically, and a little bit of a rotation. I think if you want to be pessimistic about him, you could say that we have yet to see Pitts have any production yet. And do we have production for both London and Pitts? Pitts isn't going to get shut out all year. He's going to do something here. So I guess that's the pessimist take is that, well, next week it could be Pitts and London disappears. But I mean, just everything we're seeing with our eyes and with the usage is, is super encouraging for London. He looks like a really good player. So it's hard to take much away from it than that. Yeah. And I, I mean, you can, yes, could he have, could it, could Pitts in London start trading weeks back and forth? Absolutely. Um, I, I'd be more concerned if Pitts doesn't start having good weeks, because then I think defenses would just completely focus on stopping Drake London. And that would make the Falcons offense just kind of fold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ho- hopefully Pitts can get more involved, which will as I said, we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah, this this Falcons depth chart, man, when you look at the snap counts, uh, other than London and Pitts, it's brutal. Like I, there are not good names on this list. So I think they're going to need all the London and Pitts that they can uh, manage. All right, our next good performance. Uh, I'm excited about this one. I'm on Ross St. Brown. Just a tour de force here. 12 targets, two touchdowns, 68 rushing yards. He's probably a wide receiver one, isn't he, Ryan? I think he is. Yeah. I, he's got had the volume of a wide receiver one. He's been putting up fantasy scores like a wide receiver one. Uh, he was breaking records today, uh, get, getting eight receptions in however many games in a row. Uh, like uh, unbelievable. Yeah. He, he's probably really freaking good. There's, that's all there is to say about it. Like I, I'm, I'm over the moon with the Monroe St. Brown. I, this is somebody that I, would would not have been on if I hadn't making a lot of changes to sort of my evaluation process this off season. And it led me to him and I'm very happy that it did. Yep. A couple honorable mentions, uh, Nick Chubb, like we mentioned, three touchdowns, uh, Lamar Jackson went off. Um, Christian Kirk scored two touchdowns. Even uh, while we're recording this Sunday night game, Aaron Jones has reminded us that he is good. He's got two touchdowns. He's the RB2 now. We have our second running back over 20 points for the week, Ryan. So uh, Aaron Jones joins Nick Chubb atop the rankings. Any of those players you feel like talking about? Aaron Jones or Nick Chubb? I I mean, so Chubb was interesting going into this week um, because – Yes, him and Hunt are kind of continuing to split snaps as we've seen, uh, but 
Chubb is he's just incredible on the ground. Like I, I was, I caught at least one of the touchdown runs. He almost all of the yardage on it was after contact. Like he, yeah, yeah, he, I know that I've not really been much of a Nick Chubb like stand this off season, but yeah. in the, in these certain matchups, uh, I mean, he's, he's can absolutely score three touchdowns. He's capable of that. Yep. And it's still 17 for 87 on the ground. So it's, it's, it's definitely based on the touchdowns, but that will happen. All right. Bad performances for the week. Let's go rapid fire through a little bit of these, Ryan. Just tell me if these are anything you're worried about or not. Basically, um, I think we have to lead it off with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, matchup against the Jaguars. You were certainly expecting more than nine carries for 54 yards and one catch on one target for nine yards. So are we worried? I'm not worried uh, with with the caveat that Michael Pittman needs to come back because he's yeah. apparently very important to the functioning of this offense. Uh, Ashton Doolin was the only Colts wide receiver that was able to do much of anything this week uh, on six targets there. Yeah. The, it, this offense just isn't going to function apparently without Pittman around. Uh, and I mean, there to be fair, not a whole lot on this depth chart, like, Paris Campbell, it seems like that experiment's kind of over. Not. I think we can officially say now that Paris Campbell's not a thing. Uh, yeah, there, it's it's concerning, but not really in the long term. Like, it, I'm not screaming and running with Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I almost got on the, uh, the Paris Campbell bandwagon one time ever today for DFS. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this, and I'm, I'm, I'm better off for it. So... Uh, yeah, I would just say um, usage was fine for Taylor. He actually ran more routes than Naeem Hines did. So, yeah, I would agree with you. Our only worry is what in the world is going on with this Colts offense. So as long as they're not going to get uh, shut out every week, Taylor's going to be just fine. So, all right, Devontae Adams, he bailed us out with a touchdown, but seven targets, only two catches for 12 yards against the Cardinals defense that looked awful against the Chiefs last week. So are you worried about Devontae Adams? I'm not worried about Devontae Adams. I, he's gonna continue to command targets like he obviously didn't have a great game today but it it's Devonte adams like we we've seen what he's capable of wide receivers have bad weeks um yeah. i will say though i there was the grandma narrative with Devonte adams this week it was the first time his grandmother was watching him play oh. or s- something like that i have trouble keeping track of these things but that somehow that led to him being 40% rostered in DFS tournaments. And I was absolutely the sucker that was doing that. I had like 38% of him. So it not, not judging anybody else that did. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, he, he's going to be fine going forward. Yeah, I was the sucker that rostered him and didn't even know about that narrative. So I was definitely playing him. Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, it kind of looked like Renfro was able to breathe this week because Adams had a down week. So I kind of wonder if those are the two that trade off and Obviously, Adams is going to get priority over Renfro. It seems like Waller kind of does his own thing, but uh, Renfro is going to be the one that gets squeezed out, I think, on the big Adams weeks here. So, okay, Leonard Fournette. I mean, in the running back landscape, he wasn't really that bad. Like, he got you close to 10 PPR points, I believe. But uh, 24 carries for 65 yards from Fournette, two catches for nine yards. Bucks looked in shambles. I know they always look rough against the Saints, but are you worried about Fournette here just kind of from a – explosion standpoint because he doesn't look like he's got a whole lot left hey i think we knew we were signing up for this when we were drafting leonard fournette i don't don't think we were drafting him thinking yeah he's gonna average five yards per carry like that i that was never really in the cards um the thought was that he's gonna dominate the backfield chair uh gonna run a ton of routes and i mean from what we've seen so far that's been true so no i'm not really concerned about fournette um he's gonna have probably one of the better touchdown equity shares um, of any running back in the league this year. I wouldn't expect the Bucks offense to continue being this anemic, uh, especially as their receiver room gets healthy. Yep. The Buccaneers brought in Rashad White. They uh, promptly split him out wide in an empty back formation, threw him an out route, and he dropped it. So just uh, that's just the way it goes for rookie running backs, I think. All right. Cordell Patterson for the Atlanta Falcons. This was a concern for me because he had zero targets today. And if we're not getting targets for Patterson, what are we doing here? Yeah, exactly what we were kind of afraid of um, with the narrative of him 
having just having a surprising good week in week one that didn't really seem to be in the Falcons game plan. Um, I, he's still leading this backfield in snaps, but it, this is pretty clearly going to be a committee from week to week. Uh, Tyler Algier got involved a lot. So I, in a, in an offense that is not all that prolific, it, that is probably not just going to support like an, an amazing running back, even if he's splitting the work, uh, I, yeah, I, I think Patterson's at best in flex consideration every week. He actually might have had one target. No catches, though. So, bad day for Patterson. Yeah, it's uh, – man, I just didn't think the passing game work was going to go away. I thought there might be more of a split, but I thought he'd have the passing game work, so that's a concern. All right, let's get to Kyle Pitts here. Um, everybody's favorite, Kyle Pitts. This is two duds in a row, so I, we really have to talk about this now, I think. Where are you at on the, the panic meter on Kyle Pitts? I am not panicking, um, and I want to say that that I'm officially against the grain on Kyle Pitts now because it, he's had two bad games in a row, so Twitter thinks he's bad now. It's yeah. ki- kind of how it works in these streets. Uh, Pitts led all Falcon skill position players in both snaps and routes, but he just only saw three targets. Is it concerning that he's not commanding a ton of targets despite all of this opportunity? Yeah, I would say it is. He wasn't really great at commanding targets last year either just at 16 ish percent target share that's good for a rookie tight end obviously we grade them on a curve but he had just the targets per route run have not been there so far this year i would think that that changes um we we know that tight ends can be inconsistent from week to week uh i do want to say that Arthur Smith was said maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard a coach say to the media after losing. Um, so he was asked about getting Kyle Pitts more involved in the offense. And he basically said that they're, they don't care about people's fantasy football teams and fantasy football points. They're just trying to win games. Well, Arthur, Arthur Smith, you are Owen too. So I don't know that you can say that and be on your high horse when the media asks you, a very legitimate question about why you're not game planning more and trying to manufacture touches for probably the best player on your offense it, at worst, the second best player. So yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of unreal to me that he said that uh, unless the Twitter headline was completely misleading and that's not actually what he said, but I'll give that caveat. He's very combative with the media, so I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, maybe throw the ball to your what top five pick in the NFL draft. That's a tight end that's not known for his blocking. Like we might want to get him the ball. All right, I don't even know if we need to comment on this one. I just wanted to note that Kadarius Tony is buried on the depth chart behind Sterling Shepard and David Sills had two catches for zero yards. I know we want to hold for the upside, but I think we can just move on from Tony. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, I guess the one bright side for Tony is Kenny Galladay only played two snaps today. <laughs> and there were rumors on Twitter about him just kind of leaving the locker room after the game and not being around. So it, we joked about him quiet quitting. I, maybe he's actually quitting. <laughs> like, I, I don't really know where we're at in Galladay world right now. But yeah, I, I would don't think you need to hold Tony. Well, regardless, he still needs to beat out David Sills, so that could be a while. Who knows? All right, now we are on the Bengals offense for the bad performances. I don't know where to start here. So you can see the predicament that Zach Taylor has got himself into here because after all last season, everybody ripping him for not throwing the ball enough with Joe Burrow, uh, running on first down too much, just running too much in general – They're coming out in these games trying to be pass heavy and the offensive line is just getting destroyed. It honestly looks like a coaching thing at this point. Like every offensive lineman they have can't just be bad. There's got to be some coaching stuff going on here with protections. But uh, regardless, he's trying to come out and throw the ball and this line's getting destroyed. The Bengals are falling behind. Burrow looked for the first time, I think, maybe last week, but he looked legitimately rattled. I think this is in his head, the pass rush. He's not looking downfield as much as he used to. Some of this is on him, but he's just under a constant barrage here. So I would expect we go through the tired old Twitter debate here pretty soon where the Bengals go back to being a run-heavy offense. And, like, honestly, they need to have a better game plan. They need to have better play calling. That's a whole other story. But if this is what the passing game is going to look like, they have to run the ball because Burrow's not going to make it through the season. So um, I'm sure I'll go off on some other tangents, Ryan, but uh, what did you think about this Bengals offense? 
Yeah, when you said tired old Twitter debate, I got really excited because I thought we were about to start talking about Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase again. Oh, I, yeah. I really want to open that back up and see where your head is at two weeks into 2022. No, you, you can't take Jamar Chase from me, so I'm not worried. Any of Jamar Chase managers that are freaking out, he still had nine targets, five catches, 54 yards. Like He was, he was just fine. He'll have better days. So now I'm still sticking with Chase. I mean, like I said, at this point, like, I mean, they've got some names on the line and their communication is just terrible. Uh, like they had three guys blocking a defensive tackle when Micah Parsons was untouched. Micah Parsons was one-on-one -on -one repeatedly with Lyle Collins. It did not work and they just kept doing it. Like, so at some point it's scheme, it's play calling, it's protection stuff. But um, I don't know. I'm starting. I just can't keep blaming the offensive line when all the names are new this year. Yeah, I it's. <laughs> It's somewhat concerning. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a, I think Higgins and Chase are going to be fine. Like we're, we're not saying that we're hitting the panic button on the Bengals offense as a whole. Uh, but maybe we shouldn't be expecting the insane efficiency that we were seeing out of them in the last half of the year last year. Like, do you, do you think that, that, that Jamar Chase is still capable of, putting up like three touchdowns on eight targets, like for multiple weeks in a row, like I, he's capable of it for sure, but it it's maybe not the most likely outcome for the rest of this season. I'm not so worried about the receivers, honestly. I mean, Chase still has almost 200 yards through two weeks and a touchdown. He could have had multiple touchdowns in week one. They still haven't hit a big play to him. Like I know that was going to regress, but he's still going to hit some big plays here. So no, it's honestly just – I'm mainly just concerned that Burrow looked rattled and he really let the pass rush get to him today. And he kind of looked uh, like a superhero for most of last year. So that's the concern. I think Burrow is a bit of a shaky start going forward. And I do think the volume is going to come down, like I said. I, they're going to try to run the ball more, I would expect, going forward. But I don't know. It's You're not going to sit Higgins and Chase. They've had production already this year, and they're, they're too talented. So, no, I, I'm rolling them out there like we always have. Yeah, so I, I don't know, maybe maybe we're more bullish on Joe Mixon going forward. Like, do, do you think that that's real, that there there could be a, like a philosophy shift? Are the Bengals going to just start running on first down a lot more? <laughs> and yeah, I get, yeah, I guess, as you said, we're, we're, we've come right back around to that Twitter debate. And again, I mean, they kind of did that today. He had 19 for 57, so three yards of carry. He had three catches for 26 yards. So I think you're going to see some stat lines like that. Uh, you're going to get touchdowns, you know, so that's going to work. Uh, they're going to be better. They have gone against some pretty tough pass rushes here so far. So hopefully it looks a little better against the Jets next week. But I don't know. I just think until this offensive line stabilizes, we could see what it looked like last year when they were going to Denver and just running the ball like crazy. So uh, just you're all warned if uh, next week they have 25 passing attempts and a win. Um, I'll, I just I warned you. That's all I can say. Yeah. And I mean, maybe this is also a situation where they fire their offensive line coach or they start trying some new blocking scheme midway through the year and suddenly everything looks better. Like we've had that in New England. We've literally had that happen when we would bring when Dante Scarnecchia would retire and then we would bring him back halfway through a season because things just were not functioning without him. So I, yeah. I wonder if there, I don't know that there's an offensive line guru that the Bengals have waiting in the wings, but <laughs> if, if there is some sort of adjustment here, then it could only be positive. Their, their offensive line coach is supposed to be highly regarded, but I, yeah, it's hard to see a whole lot of evidence. I, both of these games have been eerily similar where they get, beat up like crazy at the start of the game and then they kind of figure it out in the second half and things look a lot better and it's just too little too late so they just need to be not like when they're bad it just needs to be not a disaster that's really what they're they just need a baseline level here and they just haven't been able to find that yet so we've seen spurts of it in this offense we just uh we need some stabilization here so i don't know i'm I feel like I watched the same game twice here, Ryan, other than the kicking woes from week one. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm spent after two weeks. So I'm sure, I'm sure that the game in New York, will, there will be no issues there. We didn't see a weird game with the Bengals and Jets last year. So I'm feeling great. This is all great, Ryan. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that you won't be 0-3. I, I just don't, just don't, don't even have that in your mind. Yeah. I, they, I mean, lost to Cooper Rush and Mitch Trubisky. So uh, who knows? All right. Um. Yeah. I think that's probably enough 
tilting about the Bengals. Um, so really quickly, uh, let's talk about Monday night football. We have two games this week, Eric. Uh, so starting off with Titans bills, I think the big story is Gabe Davis. Will he play or will he not? Uh, he was a late addition to the injury report this week, uh, listed as questionable with an ankle injury. I would say in general, when guys pop up on the injury report late in a week that they don't play that often, that that's kind of my anecdotal experience. Um, so what, what do you think we can expect if Davis doesn't play? Is this an upgrade to any of the bills receivers? How do you think that that could affect us for fantasy purposes? Yeah. I mean, I think it has to be an upgrade to the bills receivers. He's just too part of a, too big of a part of this offense. So yeah, I mean, I would be looking to get some of these other players as a desperation play. I think Isaiah McKenzie would probably be next man up for the most part, so I would lean towards him. They did seem to kind of interchange him and Crowder a little bit, but I think McKenzie I would probably lean. But one thing that's nice is there are so many options with the four uh, or the two games going on, the four teams. Like I saw a lot of people asking if they should play Traylon Burks or um, – or Gabe Davis, like I'd be perfectly fine filling in Traylon Burks if Davis doesn't play. So there are some options here. And I, I think you could do a lot worse than putting out McKenzie if, if Gabe Davis is sitting. Yeah, I think my concern is that it may not just be minus targets for Gabe Davis equals increased yeah. targets for Isaiah McKenzie. Like they, they play very different roles. As you kind of said, McKenzie and Crowder were kind of in a slot wide receiver by committee type of yeah. situation uh, in week one. Maybe that does change. Maybe, maybe one of them goes and plays outside. We haven't really seen that from either of them in their careers. So I maybe uh, Jake Kumaro could see more playing time. I don't, I don't think we're interested in him for fantasy. Uh, Khalil Shakir could get on the field. I hope that that happens. He was that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. He he was hyped up a lot in training camp. It sounded like he had a good camp. Um, and then I think he was just limited to special teams in the opener. So I keep we're on Khalil Shakir watch. <laughs> it's exciting time of the year. Yeah, I'm not ready to go there with Kumro or Shakir, but uh, I, I think it's McKenzie personally. But it's it's not great. But like I said, if you have uh, Traylon Burks, I feel good about that. I I don't know if there's anyone else in this game like. If Kyle, Kyle Phillips were healthy, I don't know if he's worth a desperation start, but you do have a few options here. So I think it could be worse if you're waiting down to the wire. Yeah, I on the Titan side, uh, aside from Burks and just kind of betting on his route participation increasing, uh, I, he had 13 routes last week, but yeah. commanded five targets on them and yeah. had, had a significant air yard share as well on just those five targets. So Seems like he's happening and he's good. And hopefully, similar to Garrett Wilson, we'll see a big bump in playing time this week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'm pretty worried about what the Titans are going to do. Uh, I mean, in, we have seen the Titans surprise the Bills in these spots before, uh, where we kind of thought it was just going to be a really ugly game. Uh, I could absolutely see them just running Derrick Henry 30 times, uh, regardless of what the score is and it having it somehow work out for them. Uh, but aside, yeah, aside from that, I, I don't think there's much other fantasy football intrigue. Yeah. I would just say what I'm really watching for on Henry at this point is, does he still have that burst that, you know, 99 yard touchdown burst? Cause we kind of just saw them run him into the line last week. You know, we know he can get the volume, but if he's going to be 22 or whatever for 85 every week, like that's not what we're looking for. So I'm really looking to see if he's got any of that speed back or if the injuries kind of sapped him a little bit there. Yeah. And I also something to watch. I believe that Dontrell Hilliard will be out this game. So will be somewhat interesting to see who is active on the Titans uh, behind Henry. And also if any of those other running backs step in for receiving work. Yep. All right, let's get on to Eagles and Vikings here. Um, I, I think it's going to be a good time all around in this game. So, what, what are you looking for here, Ryan? Yeah, I'm just this. So, this is the game on the schedule that I circled and I said I want to watch every single second of this game, and I will be so disappointed if the game is not a shootout. Like, I need this score to be 55 to 48 so badly like that. Oh, that there was what I thought we were going to get with chargers chiefs. That one got off to a bit of a slow start, but I think this one could be even better. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, perspective, 
I'm really interested in the target breakdown uh, just in these receiving rooms. Last week, we saw Justin Jefferson and A.J. Brown just completely alpha away the rest of the receivers on each of their teams. I want to see if Devontae Smith and Adam Thielen get involved this week. Um, and yeah. if they don't, then I, I would be pretty concerned about both of them going forward. Like this is kind of the ideal game environment, the ideal spot for either Smith or Thielen. We expect it to be very pass heavy, very high scoring. This is like a tailor-made boom week for these receivers we expect to be boom or bust. So I'll be pretty discouraged if neither of them have a good game. Yep, uh, for sure. I mean, Thielen has always kind of been a bit touchdown dependent, at least over the last few years. So it's it's pretty easy to see that one correcting. But I don't know. I mean, he's still out on the field a ton. I would expect the routes to come his way. I I, I think if the offense is performing well, it's it's going to carry these guys for the most part. So, yeah, I, I'm really intrigued to see it. But I do still have general high hopes for all four of these receivers you mentioned. Yep, agree completely. Um, and then I guess the last thing we can kind of talk about a little bit is K.J. Osborne. So I, I think he's probably the most plausible, like, panic slash punt play from the Vikings. He's probably out on a lot of waiver wires this week. Uh, I so I threw KJ Osborne versus Traylon Burks into the range of outcomes tool, and it came back with a result I pretty much expected. That that's my favorite thing with the range <laughs> of outcomes tool is when when I have a preconceived idea of which player's ceiling is higher or lower, and then it validates that. That that just feels so good that confirmation bias. Um, so yeah, I mean, looking at the tool, it appears that Traylon Burks has better odds of scoring anywhere over 7.9 PPR fantasy points. Uh, so if you need more than that, I would definitely go with Burks. Uh, but if you need under 7.9 points, Osborne might be the safer option. Uh, I would say just because we think his role is very much locked in, it, it's possible that Traylon Burks only runs 13 routes again. Like we, I think we can ex expect more than that from Osborne. Yeah, I would agree. Uh they do both have some upside here. I, I would definitely watch the Kyle Phillips injury. I think that's going to be a big opening for Traylon Burks if he's out. Um, he played a lot of snaps. I know they don't play the same role, but it's just still another hit to this Titans offense. But uh, they're, they're eventually just going to need someone with some talent to get the ball to, and that's what we're hoping Burks is. So, yeah, otherwise, I mean, Osborne, like, I just I think he's going to have down weeks in the weeks that Jefferson is just going off. Like, why throw it to Osborne when Jefferson's dominating? So, um, if they're able to slow him down, put a little extra focus on Jefferson, I could certainly see Osborne benefiting. Uh, he's definitely the number three in this offense. They run a lot of three wide sets. His snaps are lower than the others, but um, he does have big, we've seen big playability in the past. So even though he's the better floor play, I don't think his ceiling is outrageously low either. So I don't mind playing Osborne. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I, I mean, it, any player in a game environment like Vikings Eagles could potentially have a big game like that. That I would totally believe that, yeah. All right. I think that wraps up most of it. Um, Ryan, do you not want to gloat at all about the Patriots win, or are you just kind of moving on to next week? I See, I don't know. I'm like weirdly brain poisoned as a Patriots fan where I, I understand that a win is something to be celebrated, and it's not as if kind of in like in years past where, yeah, obviously we won, like we win all the time. Like, yes, I'm genuinely happy that we won this week, but at the same time, I, I just feel very pessimistic about the Patriots. Like we, we are going to barely beat the Steelers who are kind of the other like signature. We just totally bottomed out franchise. Like, uh, yeah, I, I can't feel that amazing about it. Honestly. Yeah, this was two similar teams, I think, going toe-to-toe -to -toe here. Uh, 31 carries for the Patriots, 22 for the Steelers. Uh, they would love nothing more than to play uh, 19, I don't know, 92 football. I don't even know what year it would be. So, okay, well, I gave you a chance, so you can't say that next week. So, all right, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope I have uh, maybe some better Bengals performances, or I don't know if this podcast is going to make it past two weeks. But no, I just kid. We'll be here all year. Um, we'll have uh, our waiver wire podcast coming out Monday night, Tuesday morning uh, with Callan and AJ. And then Ryan and I will be back for sit start Wednesday night, Thursday morning. So thanks, everyone, for listening. It's been another fun week, and we will be back with you soon. 